0: welcome back to another episode of the heart square podcast in this episode we were joined by robin who is co-founder and ceo at Donify, and we had a chat with him this week uh, all about how to deliver successful projects
1: yeah can be good um talking to robin robin's been in the sector working in the sector for a long time uh <laughs> and a couple of guys this, and uh yeah does some really good work down the Donify. good model for small charities it's a Pretty much a um, not quite a sign up and go, but it's a small system in that sense. But really, really strong technology, um, and they've got a lot of successful projects. They've got a, a large number of clients. So uh, with a recent, reasonably modern product, a recent product, should we say? So yeah, be interesting to see what he's to say, his uh, his take on what it takes to be successful.
0: Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to this one. So we'll just get straight into the episode. We hope you enjoy. Robin, thank you for joining myself and Rob on the Heart Square podcast today. It's really great to have you with us. Um, as you know, we're going to have a bit of a chat around project success and how to deliver successful projects. But before we get into that topic, I wondered if you could do a bit of an intro and tell us a bit about yourself, your role, and Donify.
2: Sure. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, thanks, for, thanks for asking. Nice to be here. So, yes, I'm one of the co founders and the CEO at Donify. Um, so, we set up in 2015 to build specific CRM or um, specialist CRM for nonprofits, particularly nonprofits who fundraise. So, Donify is all about um, managing donors and managing fundraising in charitable organisations. Um, we launched Donify in 2015. It's designed so that it's out of the box doing um, what people need it to do. Um, so, we, we kind of minimise perhaps the amount of professional services that are required typically in a CRM project by saying it's in the product Um, one of the key things about Donify is it's integrated with all of the platforms that charities use these days and uh, we're working with about 700 organizations uh, across the UK and in Scandinavia and they range in size from quite small 250,000 pounds turnover maybe up to 50 million pound plus turnover organisations. So quite a broad range of, of organisations that uh, that use Donify.
1: Brilliant. Um, thanks, Robin. And I mean, obviously, you know, we're going to talk a bit about project success and you may be too uh, humble to mention it, but prior to 2015, of course, you had a lot of experience, you know, you worked in the sector, um, in the nonprofit sector for a lot longer than that. Uh, I think it's fair to say.
2: Absolutely, yeah so my experience goes back a long while I've had a long long and uh, long and, well not so varied career in CRM so um illustrious <laughs> yeah. yeah but we didn't call it CRM in those days we called them donor databases or members yeah yeah databases. the database wasn't it yeah and technology changed and really the the idea behind donify is that it takes advantage of the cloud and all the cloud now has to offer with ease of use you know affordability and integration all that stuff so Mm. That's the difference, I guess, is that the the technology beneath it all has changed, but the ideas um, and some of the intentions are still the same.
1: Absolutely, um, it was interesting though that you, in, even in your introduction, you mentioned about um, very specifically Donify being um, designed to minimise that kind of professional services component of an implementation, which I guess you know, in terms of our theme for around project success, is is that was that partly about trying to build consistency and clear expectations of what would be achieved when um, was that kind of one of the driving factors for the for the design even of, of Donify
2: yeah it was certainly part of the philosophy of how we designed Donify because in our previous lives with the uh, the old progress CRM and and mm. that kind of world we found ourselves doing the same kind of work time and time again for different clients so whether it was integrating just giving or whether it was integrating with the website whatever it would be the client would be spending money on professional services um, where the work could be perhaps more standardized and put into the product and productized so that you were flicking switches rather than writing code to make, make the whole thing work together. So the mm-hmm. integration piece was really a key part of Donify because we thought, well, many organizations out there are using familiar tools like MailChimp, Just Giving, Facebook Giving, um, Stripe, GoCardless, all those kind of payment services why reinvent the wheel every time it's implemented? Um, why not make them standard? So that kind of de-risks the, the process for the customer because though professional services can be a wonderful thing, they can also be a, a risky thing as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, would it also be fair to say that that helps you? So because you've got... You, yeah, you've effectively kind of pre-built those imp, uh, integrations so you know what your... Um, how you how you're going to make all those connections so it makes the implementation more
2: predictable is that fair as well i mean it makes it shorter which makes it more predictable okay um, and 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 less expensive so um not that we are completely devoid of professional services there's always data to migrate there's always a custom integration to be written with something that maybe isn't on our integration map already um, and, you know, any any amount of stuff that involves human beings requires professional services as well, whether it's training, project management, um, but, yes, generally speaking, the professional services element is is vastly minimized because of the, the productized nature of it.
1: Yeah, it, interesting. And is there also something there um, in terms of when we're thinking about the various different factors that can kind of throw a project out or whatever, what you're also enabling clients to do is to continue using tools that they're familiar with. You mentioned Mailchimp and others, you know, Stripe, etc. Down, um, so they can retain those products that or specialist products that they're already using potentially, and focus therefore. So when you come to the people side, they can focus more on the role of CRM within that mix. Is that part of it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes there is an education piece to do because it may be that for some reason Mailchimp has been there kind of de facto CRM mm. um, until they decide they need a CRM, and Mailchimp then becomes one of the players around the CRM. So, yeah, yeah there, there is the comfort in in retaining the tools that they that they know and love, um, but integrating with them. And I suppose it's making it's helping people understand the role of the CRM then in the technology landscape, which is going to be about a single view of what someone means to you all the time. Um, But not necessarily doing all the jobs that those satellite systems do so we integrate with Eventbrite for example Eventbrite Mm -hmm. is going to be a a bigger and more broad event management system than perhaps any event module that we might build into Donify so we integrate with that um, so that you get the information in the CRM about events people have attended and that kind of behavioral history which can then inform your marketing so that's the role of the crm is to is to you know be that that repository for enough information to give really good customer service to your, your donors your supporters but then identify them and segment them and and, and market to them appropriately mm-hmm. from there but we don't yeah we don't get involved for example in uh, e-commerce so um, shopify or woocommerce are, are are out there doing what they do brilliantly and we would integrate rather than rebuild yeah yeah
1: which makes a lot of sense like you said when from... Technical perspective, but also from that you mentioned, you know, the people side of, of projects, which is kind of the most important part of it, really, isn't it? Or we try to make it the most important part. So I guess that upfront education, you know, piece to, to people to show, like you say the role of the CRM, how that fits, and then to be able to explain to them kind of what they're what they're in for in terms of the implementation project, you know, what what's required of them, um, their role in in the project. Is that then? something that you specifically concentrate on kind of when you're initiating the implementation, I guess?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, everyone's different. And sometimes we find ourselves doing that education piece in the pre-sales, you know, because people are coming with <laughs> a certain set of assumptions um, and we're, we're having to sort of help them think through those things. Uh, some people have done it before somewhere else and they, 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 they have a method and they, they want to, you know, bring that to us, which is sometimes that's fine as well. But yeah, people are the interesting part of any project, so uh, that's it's always fun. Um, I think the the key thing is if if people have you know if everyone has the right attitude in it, to, you know, being flexible and being supportive of the project. Uh, you know, I guess it's 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 hardest when when invited into a project where the customer says, "Do this to us," don't you know? Add, put this CRM system into us and make us more efficient somehow. We don't really want to understand how, but um, <laughs> So they're the challenging ones, but there aren't too many of them. Um, so yeah, we gently gently try to nudge them in the right direction of of getting the uh, getting the orientation for the project right before we before we start.
1: Yeah, yeah, like you say, you don't want it to be just something like big tada. You know, here's your new system. They're not really then bought into it, do they? Are they? Um, exactly. So is that, I, I suppose a, an element of the of the success then actually is is kind of aligning expectations up front. Would that be part of that? Then would you say? making yeah. sure they're on the same page and seeking to achieve the same thing?
2: Yeah, I'd say so. I think there's a tendency, um, you know, you can, you can understand it from a customer point of view, they're embarking on a project that they want to transform their business. And there's a certain set of assumptions that go with that. Like we're going to get some software, we're going to get some people to help us use it. And at the end of that, it's going to be great. But actually um, what we try to do is, is reset the expectation to say, well, what's the minimum viable project minimum viable um, sort of line to get across to say that we've now implemented this we're doing all the stuff we used to do on the old system in here but a bit differently and there's more things to do after that so we try to encourage the sense of the go live as being not so much the finish line but actually more of a start line um, because life with the crm and improving it and you know really getting some of the benefits will come once you've done the hygiene stuff and you've gone live on the uh, the stuff that you needed to to do just to function as an organization so yeah we will try to, if it's a you know, if it's that size of project then that's the sort of attitude and the kind of um, expectation setting that we we'd like to to take and we'll do that often um in you know what you might call some sort of chemistry meeting with a client where you as make sure that you're all on the same page and that you feel like you can do business together. Mm -hmm. You know, we, in the selection process of selecting a CRM, obviously the customer has to select the right CRM, but we have to select the right customer as well. Um, Because if we can't find a way forward with that customer or that customer maybe has a completely different culture to us, then, um, you know, we may may not be the best provider for that. And, you know, we, we have, you know, been in that situation where we've had to say to the customer before, well, it. It's great that you want to do CRM, but maybe it's not us that you need because this is how we do it. And this is how we think we can work with you. So, yeah, it's uh, it's all down to people.
1: Mm, That's really interesting. So that organizational culture, like you say, the alignment of cultures between how you operate and how you see CRM and technology in their world has to match what the client what the customer, um, how they perceive it as well.
2: Yeah, we, we don't expect everyone to be like us and be like them, but we have to better work together and yeah. and, and you know, rub along together and, and get the job done. Um, so, yeah, we will look out for good signs as well as the odd red flag in that uh, in those initial chats that we, we would have. But, you know, by and large, uh, we're a pretty easygoing bunch, I think, and we would, uh, you know, be able to find a way. Um, I think that also plays into one of the other things that, as a business we're set up to do, which is that we, yes, we implement our own software, but it's not always us that implements it. We have a partner network of um, accredited partners who are certified and trained to implement Donify for clients. So um, it may be that uh, a particular client we feel would work best with us or with partner A, B or C, whoever that may be. And that relationship is important. So sometimes we have that flexibility to say which partner is the most appropriate partner, both in terms of scale for this project or expertise or even just the culture, the kind of organisation they are. Mm. Because we find that the skills required to develop software and support it are very different to the skills required to implement it. okay. It's quite a broad set of skills, really, if you think about it. You have to be, um, yeah, you have to have a different skill set really to do the implementation, so so that's why we have a partner network. It brings the strengths of their experience into into implementing Fire for our clients. Yeah, that's
1: good actually, isn't it? To have that, like say the options to have variable, different implementation partner experiences um, to bring into play, so that you can help to you know because you've obviously got the confidence that you're you've, you've got great technology. We know that, um, and that the technology can achieve what the clients looking for. Um, your point about then organizational culture means that you can yeah as you say you can pick the most appropriate um or the most aligned of your partners to, to work with any given client which which again must improve the opportunity for you to succeed in the, in the implementation
2: yeah definitely um with and it's not just the culture it's not just you know the way the partner goes about their business it may be their skill set their, their technical capabilities so we've we've had projects where as a supplier, we confront the whole thing, but we've brought several partners or multiple partners in at different times to cover different skills. So, for, for example, we have one partner who is particularly uh, well versed in um, major donor fundraising and trust fundraising, uh, so it's particular disciplines within the fundraising world. and helping them use and make sense of the CRM in that particular area is great for that part of that project, but it's a bigger project than that, so we'll have other people doing other pieces. So sometimes we do, you know, sometimes we bring the partner network together and, and they, they're happy to collaborate with one another. Um, and there's no kind of, you know, from our point of view, there's we have no vested interest in that. It's just the right person for the right job.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good to be able to call on those different experiences and expertise. though, is isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, which if I'm right, that's not the whole partner network as such. But again, that was part of the ethos when you founded Donify, wasn't it? It was a very collaborative piece of work to pull the proposition together. Is that fair? I mean, you had charities and other tech partners involved, didn't you?
2: Definitely. Yeah, we had a, a little panel, a sort of reference panel, when we started building Donify to help give us some guidance about what it was turning out like, whether it was looking good or looking bad, or whether we should integrate with this or that. And that was. Um, a really good year it's that glorious time before we um, had any customers to answer to where we could actually <laughs> develop software and and, and um, you know put a lot of time and effort into that which is great and then obviously customers come along and help you shape it even more so that was the initial you're right that's the initial kind of um, genesis of Donify was to get that uh, broad input into it and yeah we continue to do that today it's it's one of our values as a company as we um the value is build it together so we, we we try to build Donify with um with our customers and others input and the partner thing was a conscious decision because we knew that we'd only ever be able to grow as quickly as our professional services team allowed if it was all in-house okay. um, so a partner network is quite a good way for us to be able to scale quite quickly because we can add more partners um at another time so that was the business rationale from from our point of view which uh, mm very happy we took yeah definitely
1: and that um that ongoing collaboration with clients is that something that you see actually you know on topic on our core topic around ensuring the success of the project so the implementation project in this piece do you you get the sense that your clients because they know you've obviously described that ongoing relationship with them and then being able to influence the project the product down the line do you think that helps to kind of build those foundations of a really successful partnership rather than some kind of you know bang heads client supplier thing going on
2: it did yeah we we had a little project a couple of years ago now to get some insights from our customer base as to what they liked about being a donorfied customer what they didn't like about it um, and one of the things they did like about it was that they sensed they were on a bit of a journey with with the product themselves so they had some skin in the game for want of a better expression with a yeah. the product they they were a customer so they're paying and part of that subscription that they pay for a you know cloud product like donify is folded back into improving the product um okay. i won't pretend that that's an easy balance to strike all the time because um you've always got far many far more suggestions and you've got time as a software business yeah and, uh, You know, that's probably the tale of every software company that's ever been that's had a customer uh, is that you get more ideas and you've got scope to do. So we do have to balance, you know, what comes in from our customer base's ideas versus our own ideas and what the broader kind of industry is telling us and what technology trends are telling us. So it's a bit of a balancing act, um, but it enables us to build in the end a product which is. You know what our customers want and is fit for the future
1: yeah and that's the thing isn't it because about actually the technology itself um as you said earlier you know is a specialist serum for fundraisers um it has those core components for the if you like the not tangential systems but that you've got that ecosystem that you sit in the middle of and integrate with but you need to be able to kind of keep moving that forward don't you um and i think you know potentially kind of If technology gets too complex again that adds risk to a project when we're back to kind of the idea around standardization and predictability so is that something that you help to kind of mitigate against do you think by the by the the way in which you evolve your product
2: yeah i mean another one of our values as a company is to add simplicity so we we always as we develop the product we try not to make it more complicated by adding more things to it we try to make it simpler by adding more things to it we we borrowed that. I think it's Lotus cars. They're oh, really? their, uh, their strap line was something like add lightness or something to their cars. So anytime they develop the car, it's a lighter and faster. <laughs> um, so anyway, hopefully they won't be after us for that. Probably right on that particular one. But adding simplicity is right? <laughs> we try to uh, yeah, we try to add simplicity as we develop the product. Don't always succeed. Um, but we you know it has to look if you're seeing it for the first time, like it's a fresh easy to use product rather than something that's had lots of things bolted onto it mm. over time. So uh, yeah, that's the that's the general idea.
1: Okay, nice. Nice. Um, was, we're gonna, oh, sorry, there was something <coughs> kind of not change intact as such, but there is kind of one thing, one of those unsaid um, <coughs> challenges that come with all the projects that you've mentioned it in passing, but we haven't really touched on a lot, which is around data. Cause that's again, something, mm. you know, we've got, talked about the relationship that you build we talked about the standardization of the technology and then we both know well or we all know well enough that you chuck data at a system and it can do all kinds of weird and wonderful things straight out um so is that one of those areas where you know you give particular focus maybe or, or do anything specific to try and uh, minimize the impact of it on your success
2: i think um yeah it depends again on the, the client so it probably should be said that about half of our clients implement themselves onto Donify so there's no professional services at all on about half of our clients we have getting started guides data migration guides flicking the switch to switch on integrations to all the standard standard tools and that that's all kind of self-serve and organizations on a, on a budget on a strict budget or no budget can um, can implement denify themselves and do that and of course they'll make their own decision about the data they want to bring in and whether it's quality you know, makes that a good idea or not um, will be yeah. down to them <laughs> but we all know that um organizations that have perhaps been around for a while and have got systems they're moving from it's not just a fresh start they're going to have historical data some of it would have been coded differently over different eras within their system yeah. and uh, you can almost read the history through the data of the uh, <laughs> you know who's, who's looked after it so yeah we do get into those those discussions about what do you want imported um, and what do you really want imported and what do you really, really need to be imported <laughs> so that it makes sense? Because if you've got unreliable data, as we all know, you can't make decisions on that and it just becomes a, a thing that you lug around. Um, one thing that actually makes people, it focuses people's minds is that Donify's pricing model is is volume based. So um, people don't really want to bring a ton of supporters into their database that have not given for 17 years because they'll pay for them in Donify. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. our pricing model is very much volume-based on the basis that if you've got good data and you're growing as an organisation, you'll succeed and your subscription to Donify only rises when your your data you know, grows in volume. So um, that's quite a useful kind of little tool for people to remind themselves about, you know, what do I really need in here? Um, and you know do I really need that historic data that you know just because it's there and you yeah. can always keep it offline if you want to yeah
1: yeah true good way to motivate people though like you say yeah
0: <laughs> cool that's well, really interesting actually and um, then one thing I know we you sort of briefly mentioned before was kind of around trends and um, in the sector and i was just wondering if you are aware of or you you'd like you know see any trends that are in the nonprofit sector at the moment, whether that's technology
2: or um, just the way projects are being delivered. Um, yeah, if you see any around, really? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose one trend that has been ever present in the last you know, seven years since we started Donify is, is that of integration. And, and integration is not going to stop being a trend. It's, I don't know what defines a trend. Can something be an old trend? But anyway. <laughs> um, Integration, there's always a shopping list of things to integrate with because people will pick up the new online donation tool, whether it's TikTok or something else. They'll say, we want to, you know, any donations that come from that place, we want to end up in Donify, in the CRM. Um, So there's always integrations. Um, I have to say, we're not seeing a massive demand for crypto. Uh, There's a lot of talk about it, um, Mm. or there was, uh, and it hasn't really been something that's kind of made it to the top of anyone's list i think um we already integrate with stripe who are adding a crypto element to their offering anyway so it may be that through through that we will naturally be supporting crypto donations but yeah that hasn't really been a um a big driver i think one of the things that is coming through gently um and i think it Possibly scares some people, but it's the notion of of artificial intelligence or AI coming through into the CRM world, into fundraising as well. Mm. We're seeing that happening with um, with uh, machine learning, the machine learning aspects of AI, where looking for patterns in data that you might not, as a human, have asked it to show you. Um, so, you know, what are the most likely people to respond to an upgrade appeal? or what are the most likely people to respond to a legacy ask? Um, And it may not be the people that as a fundraiser that you think you should target, but your system and your machine learning is telling you that actually these are the best 312 people to ask for that thing. Um, So we have done a bit of work with, uh, with, with machine learning. We've got a couple of pilot projects running with a, a few clients to, to test the, the, machine learning segmentation versus a human segmentation which is going to be quite an interesting outcome i think uh so yeah we're 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 in the middle of that at the moment so watch this space
0: yeah cool that's that's really interesting actually because ai and machine learning is something a topic we've picked up previously in, in conferences we've run um previously so it's interesting to see how how much time it's taken for that to kind of um come into the sector and and be adopted it's it seems like it's a slow adoption is
2: that fair to say yeah right it is and i think there's sometimes a bit of fear around the term ai people think of what's mm. taken over their lives and 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 you know I, I guess there's a wider social implication about decisions being made for us by machines um mm. so you know not to belittle that but uh but yeah i think maybe maybe it's time has come it's just finding a an application for it, a use case which people are comfortable with
0: yeah.
1: yeah i think that's exactly it isn't it robin it's you know <clears throat> as you say ellie we've been talking about ai and machine learning for a long time but then it's finding kind of real world examples where it can add value and actually on your point about the the fear robin i completely agree i think it's about people understanding that it, they can work alongside the machine however you want to describe it the robot whatever it's about harnessing the power but combining combining what the machine can do with what we can do because it's about scale as much as anything isn't it you know, the ability for a computer to mine so much data to derive those patterns that we could just we could do it it would just take us you know two and a half lifetimes to to achieve what they can do in an hour
2: absolutely yeah yeah, yeah the machines are here to stay <laughs> they are they are but <laughs> well, well,
0: just conscious of time there and um i think that's a good point to end on <laughs> so i just want to say thank you for joining us
2: today robin great stuff thanks for having me thank thanks, you. Robin.
0: So we really hope you enjoyed the episode with Robin um, it was great to have him on the podcast this week and chat to him about his experience and working um, in the non-profit sector. I found it really interesting when he was speaking about the people size of the project and the importance of the alignment of organisational cultures and how important that is really, um, which I know is something we speak quite a lot about here at Heart Square.
1: It is, isn't it? You know, um, we see the yeah, we see the importance of that, and I think you can see, you can hear from Robin that they've, you know, they've specifically tried to address that by building a partner network where they have implementation partners who do, you know, who have different cultures, so they can always do that kind of matching service between. They get an understanding of the client, um, and then choose between their partners, the one that, that that's most most closely aligned to it. So yeah, really important, really. Um, really good point that came through there and very considered on his part. And I think that it's reflective actually of um, the nice perspective that Robin adds there where, where the product is at is, the nicest sense, you know, it's a kind of, it's not a like plug and play, it's not yeah. far off. It's like, you know, we're not gonna do, we're not gonna spend months and months and months configuring it specifically yeah. to a um, It's intended to do its thing and then to plug into whatever you already got, which is all about actually making it light and and, like to implement and therefore really to I- increase the chances of project success. Mm. Yeah, so he's got you, got, they kind of got in front of the curve in that respect, like, yeah. identify the risks are to project mm. success and then designed the product and the nature of the solution to mitigate against it, which is really smart. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it was a really great episode and really interesting to hear from Robin. So we hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. So if you did, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review um, to get notified of the latest episodes. Don't forget, you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching HeartSquare where you'll find loads more content on themes of leadership, digital culture and capability. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.